God, I love that movie. My voice is my password. Verify me and listen to the Uncut Gems podcast, a weekly show where we talk about movies nobody else wants to talk about. This is episode number 121, and my name is Jakub. And my name is Randy. And today we are talking about sneakers. But hold on, wait a second. If you listened to our last week's episode about Bottle Rocket, you would, you would have probably remembered <laughs> If you listen to the very end of it, <laughs> we, were pr- we promised we'd be talking about Hudson Hawk, but we're not. So uh, yeah, there's a little story con- uh, connected to it, but you know, like more on that later. The, I think the, sh- the long and short of it, uh, we we flipped Hudson Hawk and sneakers around because we um, we have something special potentially in store. Fingers crossed. <laughs> I think that's the way to put it, right? Yes, well said. Uh, I think that, yeah, without divulging too much, but stay tuned. Stuff may stuff may happen. Anyway, so today we're talking sneakers because we're continuing our sort of quick trip, the May trip through nineties um, heist movies, or as you put it, Randy, Grant Larson May. There you go. <laughs> Where's, where where do I need my badums? And I have this. <laughs> <laughs> well done. <clears throat> Uh yeah, so yeah, we're t- we're talking about heist movies, baby. So anyway, we're talking sneakers today, and then traditionally, uh, as we'll just mentioned, what's on our Patreon, Patreon.com/slash/uncutgemspod is where you can go and listen to our extra bonus podcasts, and we have plenty of those over there, only for three dollars a month. And this month, we've recorded a trio of reviews of the oceans uh oceans movies 11 12 and 13 and that's available to listen on our patreon it's behind the paywall what's not behind the paywall by the way is our brand new because uh, if you're listening to this on friday when we released it then since wednesday on this wednesday on the 17th of may we've released the uh, bonus episode about michael mann's heat and that thing is available to listen for free for a period of four weeks. So get on that and listen to us wax poetic about this masterpiece of a movie. Okay? So go on there, patreon.com slash uncutgemspod and listen to us talk about heat. For four weeks only, this is for free. So you just have to go in there, click and listen or download and listen or do whatever you need to do to do that. And then later in the month, you will also hear us talk about husbands because john cassavetes marathon is not going to do itself so we kind of have to go and check in at the uh cassavetes hotel uh and that's going awesome honestly i'm just gonna throw in here those last two conversations faces and a child is waiting this is what an adventure the cassavetes thing is turning into didn't really see it coming and i'm we're only in god we're only through april Where's my, I'm gonna, where's my, where's my, my, I'm gonna come (laughs) and see it coming. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) Uh, 
Anyway, so yeah, so Casa Veris is coming towards the uh, end of the month. We're going to be talking husband. And um, that's about it for what's what's on the Patreon this month. So let's just continue our odyssey through uh, 90s heist movies and let's talk about sneakers. Well, did, did you go over any speed bumps? Uh, gravel? Uh, how about a bridge? Bridge? Yeah. Four bridges in the Bay Area. Was the Golden Gate fogged in last night? Yes. Did you hear a foghorn? No. Scratch the Golden Gate. That leaves three. What did it sound like? Did you go through a tunnel in the middle? I'm not... No. Scratch the Bay. Well, that leaves two. San Mateo and Dunbarton. What did it sound like? Lower. There was a recurring sound. Like seams in the concrete. But further apart. Yeah. <sighs> so Sneakers is directed by Phil, Phil Alden Robinson and co-written by him and also written by Lawrence Lasker and Walter Parks um, and it stars um, I think it's Ford, Ford Red Border I think that's what his name was um, at least um, in the opening credits of the film that's Robert Redford sorry it's an anagram <laughs> this is me being a this is me me being a boomer sorry no it starts Robert Redford, Dan Aykroyd, Ben Kingsley, Mary McDonnell, River Phoenix, Sidney Poitier, David Strathairn, and I think everybody, and Stephen Tobolowski, yes, and a few other people. Um, and uh, I think the, 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 how how do you how do you summarize it without actually telling the whole story because it's a very plot heavy movie. So let's just call it. So it's a story about um, a security a group of security professionals. Um, whose past returns to haunt them when they have when, when they're hired to uh, to retrieve a very particular item and then this item tends to be in the possession or or maybe uh, tends to be either in it's in possession tends to be it turns out to be uh, desired by someone from from Robert Redford's past i think this is the only way i can i, I can describe it without spoiling it immediately but don't worry, we're going to yeah. spoil the movie immediately yeah. anyway. But it's the, just the like spoils are coming, yeah. <laughs> so it's, it's it's about hackers, baby. Hackers doing heists, okay? And one of them's blind. Yeah. <laughs> the, the prompts the guy got for to to kind of do a blind man. By the way, this is going to be a conversation, hopefully. So yeah. So the movie originated i think in the early 80s and because i think what bears reminding if if you guys are not aware is it, that was written by lawrence lasker and walter parks and these two guys also wrote among other things war games i think mm-hmm. for one of them at least war games was the first film that, that that they wrote so when they were researching war games they had this idea about like let's just take, do a heist movie about hackers and then uh, so they sat on this idea for a very long while, um, and then eventually I think they they got Phil Alden Robinson 
involved in it. And if you don't know who Phil Alden Robinson in it, it is as well, so this is a guy who did just before it, he did Field of Dreams, mm-hmm. and then later on he's he doesn't have too much of a catalog because I think he directed six features plus some TV. Yeah, uh, some of all fears is in there though. Some of all, fe- all, all fears one. is in there, and then yeah, and Field of Dreams and Sneakers mm-hmm. are probably the three big ones that people would probably recognize and then he did the angriest man in brooklyn which i think this is one of the last films that robin williams was in mm-hmm. um but he did he did have a much of a, a lot of uh a, let's just say he also did a few screenplays he wrote ghost dad <laughs> yeah <laughs> bill cosby and the john grisham yes. ad- adaptation the chamber was him too i think yes and he also co-wrote rhinestone with sylvester stallone <laughs> Um, yeah, and, uh, oh yeah, and he also directed one episode of Band of Brothers, and I think he did The Good Wife. So he's yeah, uh, I think this is like a John Doll sort of conversation. Like this is a guy who who kind of exists more in TV than everywhere else. But anyway, so so these people got together and they decided, oh, we need to do a movie about hackers. And then before actually, so they had this idea for a script, and they they got Robert Redford in, interested in this. So and so based on the fact that Robert Redford was interested in this, they actually got the entire cast and Phil Alden Robinson interested in the movie as well, because Robert Redford is in this, so we might as well. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So everybody, so Dan Aykroyd, David Strathairn, um, Stephen Tobolowski, all these people, they kind of got invested in this movie, James Horner <laughs> as well, because Robert Redford was in it, was attached to it, so it must have been good this whole idea so they, they kind of got this call it I, I don't do can we call it a stellar cast possibly yeah Sydney I think Poitier, so. like there's like there's a few Oscars between these movie between these movie stars in there like already in the in, in the late 80s when this movie was coming together and I think Mary McDonald's Oscar nominations are around this time wasn't it was this passion fish is that her is that what she was nominated for like Ooh. So her Oscar nominations around there. This is sort of the height of Aykroyd's career because mm-hmm. his Oscar nomination yes. was a little bit before that. So, yeah, no, this <clears throat> this I think is a pretty big deal cast. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So the the movie became a bit of a big deal, and I think Stephen Tobolowsky, like even, but then it became a bit of a big deal. But even people like Stephen Tobolowsky were like, I don't know, I'm not sure about this. Um, and then it turns out that this became a big thing in Hollywood like this movie was coming together because it was kind of like well let's just call it Ocean's <laughs> Eleven of its time <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> sort of uh, we're gonna I had in my it. notes that yeah we're gonna get to it we're gonna get to it is the is the note is this Ocean's Eleven from Wish <laughs> <laughs> the note is this is Ocean 10 <laughs> Ocean's 10 from 1992 <laughs> is what my note is Oh Jesus! And then we'll, we'll, we'll um, I smell a tweet. Just who who did it better, Andy Garcia or Ben <laughs> Kingsley? But oh, Ben Kingsley's in it as well. <laughs> did I mention <laughs> that too? What a ponytail! Um, where was I? So the movie came out in oh, let me just double check. Um, September nineteen ninety two. Um. On a budget of twenty three million, it made a hundred and five, I think, domestically. So I think this is pretty substantial. It made quite a lot of money. Hundred, uh, sorry, it made a hundred yeah. worldwide. Oh, worldwide, but, sorry. So but yeah, still, it's still, still, it's good. 
it's a good yep. return. Although, yep. I think this is a separate conversation. You know, if you divide it between the stars, I guess. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, no one got rich out of this. But anyways, but it was kind of more or less positively re- re- received by critics. Audiences were kind of like, this is all right. I think one, one notable thing about the film, apart from the fact, you know, like, I think... Um, they hired like real mathematicians to do all sorts of stuff for it, and they hired they they hired real real life hacker consultants like for like like they did for war games for whatever reason I don't know. Um, <laughs> but one of the one of the interesting things about the film was like during the film's release, they released this press kit that involved a floppy disk which had these puzzles in it, where, he, where he, in order to kind of get to the information about the film, you had to solve puzzles. <laughs> God. <laughs> And then put like a survivor in. challenge. <laughs> Jesus Christ! Yeah. So uh, yeah. So okay. Yeah. So that so that happened. So like some critics, some critics were kind of like, "This is this is good. This is you know like a nice caper. You know, paranoid thriller. We're gonna get to it. What it is? Roger Ebert was famously a little bit nonplussed about it. Gave it two and a half out of out of four and told and called it thin. I mean, entertaining but thin. Uh, and then you know, like some people kind of pointed to the fact that you know, like this movie came out like a decade too late or things like that. And so, so uh, let's just say the the some people were divided on this. However, I think this movie kind of just gave just was was given its second life on home video, uh, and I think since then became a, just a little bit of a cult classic. I think, however, even within the cult classiciness, I think it's still quite a bit under the radar for reasons we're going to discuss in just about a few seconds. But we're here to do just that because you know this is what we do. We dig out these films from the past to think about well, why don't why don't people talk about them? Oh, that's why. <laughs> So, so here's here's our conversation about sneakers, Randy. What is your take on sneakers? Well, this is a first time watch for me. I never saw it. Uh, I do recall, I, I recall it's being promoted back in the day. I recall its performance is you know being okay and at the box office because it was following the box office at the time. Never saw it, and I never really had too much of an impression. I don't think I knew too much about it or maybe had seen the trailer too terribly often so just largely my world um, has coexisted alongside the world of sneakers and I'm just aware of it not too much more do I know about it except I will say this this has got to be one of the worst Hollywood posters because (laughs) (laughs) it's like a sheet of paper with the page turning in the bottom right and you see everyone's face sneaking into the poster hello uh i just sneaking into the poster that's exactly what they're doing i hate this poster it's just so tells me nothing and it's just so bland uh anyway uh so there's that so i i've i've no real impression of of this movie over the years but so anyway i watched it uh yesterday or the day before forget anyway I watched it. It's sort of a fun little movie. I, I enjoyed myself with it. I, I feel, though, having watched it, I think this is a movie that has a little bit of what I'm going to call an I've still got it flex for some of the old stars involved, Redford in particular and Sidney Poitier, that here's a studio film that is banking on the celebrity and the, the goodwill established from Poitier and Redford's 
career? Um, you know, can they still open a film or, you know, like I liken it a little bit to, uh, you know, bucket list, you know, which Mm -hmm. would come another 10 years after this is it's not necessarily a film anyone's clamoring to see, but you know, it might be cool to see, you know, old Nicholson and old Freeman together. And I think that's a little bit of, of what the appeal might be to sneakers. Um, my notes say that this is oceans 10 in 1992, <laughs> or I guess there's like six of them. So we can say it's ocean six because I think there's only six in on this, on this job. Um, you know, it's, it's fun. The plotting underneath all of this, I find ridiculously, uh, stupid and that like there are never really any stakes things happen and pop up that i really don't understand why i'm supposed to be interested in this donal logue with like this mathematician i don't really understand you know why we're doing what we're doing at any given moment you know i think it's there in the the script a bit it's it's this film reminds me of someone who loves a certain song and sings the chorus loud and with all their heart and is having a great time with it. But when they, when they get to the verse and they don't really know the words and don't really know what they should be doing, they just sort of mumble (laughs) along. And I think that's what the plot is a little bit here, but there's, there's, (laughs) there's a lot of great moments in here and uh, it's, it's, it, it very much works to connect this to our conversation about oceans 11, 12 and 13. um, Because I think the, the fun in here in part is just these actors hanging out with one another. So there's a lot of these sort of social engagements, which are sort of fun and amusing. Um, And then there's a few little, I'll call them mini set pieces, which is sort of fun and amusing amusing as well. But I think Ebert hit it on the head. You said uh, uh, Ebert called it entertaining, but thin. I I think that that's sort of bang on, but uh, you know, I can put on the proper hat and get in the right mode and, and, and sort of be entertained and, and have some fun with this. Wow, I'm going go to for it. This. What about you? <laughs> How am I going to follow this up? I'll, this was also a first time for me. This is again one of those things that I do remember it being a thing. I remember it be featuring prominently on the shelves of video rental stores mm-hmm. I frequented as a chi- as a child, and then renting just with reckless abandon. So <laughs> movies that were like rated eighteen and no one batted an eye because it's just like, why is this twelve year old or ten year old just renting all these, all these horrible things? <laughs> and it's just because these were those were the nineties, baby. Like no one cared. Free range parenting. Uh, so yeah, I remember this being a thing. I also remember never ever watching it. So you, you picked every video box on the shelf around it. Exactly. Pretty much. <laughs> yeah. It's pretty much what it was. <laughs> Um, and I don't know why, because like I was massively into Dan Aykroyd, not necessarily just you know have, have had a crush on him or anything, but I remember like being into Ghostbusters. I, I loved Spies Like Us, Lo- Blues Brothers. As to, to this day, like these are like I think Spies Like Us just about missed my top one hundred. If if it didn't, mm-hmm. or maybe even featured on it, I love Spies Like Us. <laughs> <laughs> It's a very uh, no. It's, he's not in Three Amigos. Almost said Three Amigos. He's the one he's not in. Chevy Chase is in it, and I love it too. <clears throat> Where was I? Dan Aykroyd. Anyway, yeah, you you were going to say you never you never pick this one up off the shelf because of its poster, because of the, the box. Possibly, quite possibly. <laughs> <laughs> the, 
No, it was just this this sort of like laundry list of names. I didn't know what it was all about. Um, and then just you know, like you just move on and you fall in love with the crow and speed, and you just like ah, who cares? So I picked it up forty eight hours ago, and I kid you not, I don't remember a single thing. If it wasn't for my notes, I don't know what I would be do- doing here, because this is a movie that just has a residence time in my head the way like on on the same scale like a raw chicken breast would have in my stomach mm-hmm. <laughs> just yeah. evacuate immediately yeah <laughs> just it's, doesn't it's matter which end just ha- out <laughs> renting space in there by the hour not by the day <laughs> This uh, you know, the sleazy hotel <laughs> of my of my intestine. No, yeah. So, so I watched this movie forty eight hours ago, and I barely remember anything about it. And I will probably tell you that this the movie has this sort of I don't want to call it a problem. It is a problem. The movie's two hours long, and I think it's um like you said, it overstays its welcome exactly eighty three minutes in kind of sort of where things supposed to start happening you're just like i think i'm done here (laughs) so so because i think there is there is a bit of a mishmash of things in here uh which i'd i'd like to kind of prod you on as well because you seem to have liked it i think i was you know like i was just thinking what's what's gonna be the meme for this is it smear curse i don't know Uh, Snickers, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, Snickers. <laughs> Snickers, yeah, there you go. <laughs> Jesus. Yeah, so, because I honestly could not care less about what's happened in, the, in this film, and like, this is something that I've referred to before, and this is something I heard, uh, this is not my my original invention, but I've, I've heard this re- referred to as the James Bond effect. As in, like, you watch people do things and you don't know why, but you just keep watching them and you ha- mm-hmm. you're just happy to be there. <laughs> yeah, perfect. <laughs> yeah. So, so yeah. just like, you're like, watch, like, I remember like, watching like a Roger Moore sort of James Bond film. And you're just like, I don't know who this guy is in the hat is, but I think he's going to kill Bond. I don't know what Bond's trying to achieve in here, but you know what? I'm going to stick around. So that's kind of how I felt watching the, the entire film. There are these sort of heist mini set pieces in here these sort of little capers there are little um investigative bouts and then i find myself thinking why are they doing this like there is a scene where they're trying to i think david strathairn is using the piano to understand um the sound of where robert redford was was locked in a boot of a car and and, and i'm just why <laughs> Here, <laughs> just, no, I think it was more of a ba-dum, ba-dum, ba-dum. it seems in the concrete. Don't mm. watch, listen, uh, listen. <laughs> just meanwhile, David Strathairn's sort of directorial note from Phil Alden Robinson was Imagine you're blind and you're kind of like a cross between Stevie Wonder and Ray Charles, but you're white. <laughs> and he goes, Got it. <laughs> Uh, and he has these two tuning keys. <laughs> he yeah. goes, <laughs> why? <laughs> so, 
so I start paying paying attention to these things, and I'm just start like because I'm getting bored by the by the film. I'm starting connect to connect this to other films. I'm just like this is like the poor man's predecessor to Mission Impossible in terms of this sort of final set piece of this sort of infiltration and what could <laughs> yeah. be Langley. No, it's a toy factory. It is not a fa- toy factory, <laughs> but you know, um, <laughs> this toy factory is fooling no one. <laughs> uh, it has yeah. produced precisely one and a half robot dogs. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so, so there's, so I've, I'm, I'm quite ambivalent about the film itself. I, 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 I admire the fact that they convinced Robert Redford, Sidney Poitier, Dan Aykroyd, Mary McDonnell, and Steve Tobolowsky, and David Strathairn, and Re- River Phoenix as well to mm-hmm. all be in it, with some other people too. But holy shit is this is this movie a bit of a mess i think that's kind of my take home lesson i think it's it's almost too much of a mess uh so let's just dig into the f- film itself like the cuz i think like the, the big conceit for for the month is like ah, it's we're doing heist films like is it actually a heist film does it function as one like what's what's the sort of heist elements that or what what elements of the film, film, just in general, before we start talking about the story of the film or whatever, uh, <clears throat> endear you to this? Like, what's what's the, what's the deal here with sneakers? <laughs> um, hmm. In terms of is this a, a heist movie? No, nah, probably isn't. Is it? Like, it's you know they're they're not. They're really just. I think in terms of what's going on, I think they're trying to steal something which they accidentally dropped off to bad guys and they have uh, a job where they break into banks for banks to say how lax their security system is. So there are heist elements sort of swirling around off in the periphery, um, but it's not really a, a heist movie per se, but it has some of these elements. And then, you know, there's the set piece at the end uh, which you alluded to, which is, uh, you know, sort of a, a theft and a, a break-in of, of sorts. So yeah, it's, it more or less fits the fits the bill, but it's not a cops and robbers heist mm-hmm. type of setup in any type of traditional way. Um, what endears me to this? Um, you know what? Like sometimes it's, it's vibing correctly in a way that I can, um, you know, sort of dial back the thinking and just sort of go with the flow and I'm enjoying... Uh, I'm enjoying some of the banter. I'm enjoying what I'm getting from Redford and Poitier and, you know, Phoenix and uh, Mary McDonald, who I think she's just the best. Um, but, you know, like I'm having fun in these moments, but yeah, like I, I do, I have totally tuned out of the plot, except just for the sake of our episode and our recording here. I'm trying my <laughs> desperately to understand what's going on <laughs> in case it comes up. Um uh, but yeah, like this, this is just sort of a loose connection of events and I don't really care. Like, as I said, I, I, there's no, there's no stakes here. Nothing really matters. And why are we here? And, you know, it's, it's pretty weak uh, on the whole, but, but basically, like I said, it's, it's like a song that, you know, you don't know anything about the song, but you can sing along with the chorus. Like it hits these notes that you sort of vibe with. There's enough of that for me to sort of get through this and, you know, not, not hate it, but yeah, like everything you're saying, I'm hundred percent. Like it's, it's weak. I think that with me at the 83 minute mark, I'm still okay because then in a couple of minutes, there's, there's going to be one more 
you know, one more singing of the course, which will sort of liven me up. Um, but I'm with you in terms of like nothing here matters. So, so but some of these elements like uh, with the actors and the performances, you know, I like them and I, I like being with them. They're sort of fun in sort of a 1990s hangout type of type of way um, has has a fun vibe with with Ackroyd being there. Poitier, I think, is is great here when he's sort of riffing and getting annoyed with with Ackroyd. Um, mm-hmm. You know, Redford's just cool. Redford, it, you know, I, I I always thought that the spy game casting was so perfect because Redford to me is pit. <laughs> you know, they're, they're very mm-hmm. similar entities in, in my mind. So, you know, I just I, I like spending time with with these guys and nothing that they try is so terribly stupid that, you know, I'm rolling my eyes and I'm really sort of dreading everything. It, it just sort of works, but nothing is too terribly special at the same time. Yeah. I mean, I guess I, I have a feeling that this movie, th- this conversation could benefit from what I now call the quest treatment as in, cause I, I don't remember a single thing, but if I had to go scene by scene and recount the events, I think I would basically remember everything. <laughs> mm-hmm. Because I, yep. I feel like in my head now, it's such a mess that I don't... like. I remember like David Strathairn driving a van when he's blind. And he's like... And and I don't know why, but if I go... it's Because like, it kind of starts with this... Like, this whole film is kind of just... So revolving about this around this mystery of why this is happening to Robert Redford, right? Because it mm-hmm. kind of starts with... By the way, it starts with a scene that's taking place at the sort of the famous set wall, the Hill Valley courthouse mm-hmm. from back to the future yep right <clears throat> covered in where, fake snow yeah covered in <laughs> fake snow um where uh, young robert redford and young cosmo which uh, we later find out it's ben kingsley um they're they're hacking the planet um <laughs> uh, and then and then they're, they're breaking in somewhere and just robert redford steps out, steps out for a piss i think and then just some Cosmo gets arrested or something like to that. To get pizza or something. Or get pizza, yes. <laughs> something to that effect. He steps out and just like, all of a sudden, like fast forward, we're in the 90s. And they're yes. doing Yeah, and they're doing this. And then I think this is kind of like the key piece of, okay, well, there's something happening to them because they're, they're being offered this job. And to me, this kind of felt like, is this movie kind of trying to capitalize, like it, it's kind of like stunt casting and then capital, like Seamus capitalizing on the success of of a key few films like there was this because this movie traces back to like early 80s yeah and mm-hmm. i feel like in terms of like plot elements and how the certain conceits are kind of put together this feels like someone decided oh we need to capitalize on the three days of the condor thing mm-hmm. we need to capitalize on the uh, on the sort of the the paranoid thriller the parallax view type sort of movie movie making and also we need to capitalize on the Raiders of the Lost Ark just a little bit. And what I would throw into the mix too is um, the quirky camaraderie of the crew, which probably traces back to all kinds of different 80s comedy, like even Ghostbusters, right? Like even with the Ackroyd connection, because there's that mm-hmm. that quirky <clears throat> banter the, uh, between them. Like that's something that they are actively, you know, shooting for. Yeah, I'm just, but then again, if one... one... Uh, I want uh, this would be like going into the story of the film. I'm just wondering when this film's coming together in the early '80s. Today is it already conceptualized as an ensemble piece? I don't know. But then, uh, it, it, yeah. So in terms of like the sort of the heist elements, for for me, for instance, I don't th- find anything really particularly endearing either. Like 
the, I think the thing that they was they were supposed to sell this on, like I like I feel the closest comparison I could I could make to anything that kind of makes sense to me is Mission Impossible, where you have the sort of the big conceit, something there's a secret somewhere, Cooties Rat Seaman, Sitek Astronomy, anagrams somewhere. You know, like Job three fourteen. You know, <laughs> like in, yeah, yeah. There are these sort of secrets. There's some, some, someone's doing something in the background. You don't know. Like there's something's happening, and you don't know why. But your guy is kind of on the run, and so there's this sort of paranoid thriller element of it. And then at the end, that you have to kind of just in infiltrate this in impregnable structure um, where there's this secret somewhere in there, right? So. Imagine Tom Cruise in 1996 or seven, you know, like with, yeah. with, with you know, like drop, like there are these moments that are just visually memorable, resplendent almost, right? Like these very iconic shots in there. Like none of this is here. And I feel like they had this, these ideas. This would be cool if we had these motion sensors and there was this heat sensors in there. And then if Robert Redford had to be very, very slow. <laughs> yes. Yeah. It's, it's, that's that's a that's a good comparison to sort of the De Palma film, um, except here, everything we get with all these little set pieces, every one of them is a bit of a letdown, <laughs> you know, <laughs> just because, a little bit of a letdown. Yeah. Because the opening, which has a bit of promise, like they're trying to break into this, well, they are, they're breaking into this bank, and then there's all this stuff that's happening with an alarm going off, and there's confusion with the security guard trying to figure out whether there's actually smoke. Um, yeah, fine. Oh, yeah, but, I remember that now. <laughs> yeah, see, there you go. But because I was actively trying to remember how did that first heist unfold? Because there's all this, you know, uh, I think stuff in the truck where they've got all the computers in the truck and, you know, but who's breaking in to do what? And I remember the, they have a little smoke bomb that goes off in the safety deposit box. And I'm trying to remember how are they breaking in? What is going on? And I, sort of having trouble to remember it fully myself, except that after the distraction of the uh, the fire alarm, after mm-hmm. that distraction, all they do is they, they clack a few keys and they transfer money into a bank account and then Robert Redford just withdraws it from this bank account the next day. It's it's a, it's just visually and in, in every other way, it's, it's just a bit of a letdown of, uh, of the scene. And then the scene where... The, the final, I'll call it set piece, where Robert Redford is, he's the grease man. He's the man on the floor and has to break into this room and he has to move two inches per second or less. <laughs> <laughs> like like it whole, sounds cool on paper, right? What but if it's, you get to it's not? move two inches a second and then you realize, like you're filming this and you're like, this is going to take forever, guys. <laughs> Yeah, you know, and you they, just they, see this action everywhere. It's just like these people talk about, it's like, no, we have to, have to. No, these people are finding out what's going on. Stephen Tobolowski's just getting, the, getting the hang of what's going on. And meanwhile, cut to Robert Redford <laughs> moving very <laughs> through two inches per second. You know, and you know the suspense is there because you're cutting away to these other things that are going on, and you know, like it's it's there, but it's just it's just such a letdown. And it's a beautifully lit scene, like this beautiful blues, like these. Uh, Cameron influenced blues I'm going to say like it's just it's it's nice looking but it's just such an awkward cut to you know Robert Redford slowly moving across the room 
it's just so but but everything is a little bit of a letdown in this it's 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 sort of fun but you know it's just there's, there's nothing really that totally stands out or you know does it stick the landing eh, i guess but you know mm-hmm. nothing's fantastic okay you you would just say no no it really doesn't um you know, like I'm engaged by these scenes myself. And I, I think that there's a lot that's going into the edit to make it suspenseful and, and the music and it's just, but it's very much by the numbers. So I'm not necessarily, I'm, I'm, in, I'm invested, but I'm not, there's no stakes. So at the other end of it, there's no stakes either. And then every it should seed. Be, it should be all, all nothing but stakes in here. Uh, yeah, I agree. That That's the plot elements totally falling apart. I think like what, we're following this chip. And then the chips in a box. And do you have the box? Are they talking about the box? Are they talking about the mathematician? Like, I don't really, I, I don't get how all this is being driven forward. It's just all, you know, nonsensical little checkpoints that we have to get to following the mathematician, following uh, breaking in and stealing this chip and dropping it off and then trying to get it again. Because it's got to build up to the Ben Kingsley character coming back into Robert Redford's life. That's what the film's all about mm-hmm. but there's there's all these little checkpoints that the script is trying to get to uh mm-hmm. but i don't really care like there's nothing about that that's i can see that there might be a little bit of uh you know stakes in terms of this friend who this ben King, kingsley character who was busted for you know hacking and went to prison and and redford thought he died and now he's come back and uh, he's sort of running all these scams himself. Uh, I, I can see that there being something to that, but you've got, I'm going to say, 50 minutes of the film where you're just sort of navigating this weird little plot, and there's some anything that's engaging along the way is maybe the fun with the characters or whatever, uh, but you know, it's all about getting back to Ben Kingsley, and we plot-wise, we're in sort of no man's land for, I'm going to say, 50 minutes. Mm-hmm. No, it's it's totally what it is. I think I think because <clears throat> I I just feel like it's not this movie is nothing but plot, and that's a problem. Like that's kind of the James Bond effect, mm-hmm. if you think yep. about it, right? Like there's, and I'm just thinking to myself, it should be, I don't know, maybe slim down a little bit, and like maybe forget a few elements. But then you can't forget a few elements because like all of a sudden, like some people don't get their payoff. Some people like, why is this guy here or whatever? Because like you have an ensemble piece with these massive, um with this massive conspiracy sort of underpinning everything, because on top of the chip, you also have these, like, well, this mystery of, like, is it the Russians? It's the NSA. It's something like, you're working for people, but these people are are not who they say they are. FBI is not FBI. You talk to, like, a Russian ambassador. Like, what is happening? And I think you (laughs) hit it on the head just by um, calling calling out a bit of a comp to Mission Impossible, because De Palma, this film in De Palma's hands, I think has really heightened elevated set piece types of moments where the suspense carries you through where whether the stakes are real or not you're you're invested in it and you buy into it and I think that's that's something that uh, someone like De Palma would would understand and and get out of this um, and also to a certain point you know the character and sort of the singular motive of the of the character here it's all very murky and I don't think mm-hmm. that I don't think that uh, Robinson, you know, has a has a strong hand over how to play this, how to play this out and how to elevate moments, because if if these set pieces are top notch, it's easy to forget plot like you and I talk all the time about films that, uh, 
you know, the plot is just the skeleton that everything else drapes on and that's fine. You know, here mm-hmm. though, it's so plot heavy. None of these other elements are, uh, are raised or elevated to a point that, you know, I care or I'm tricked into believing in the stakes. You know, I don't, I don't believe in the suspense and, oh my gosh, who's at the center of this and who are those bad guys? And, you know, those, those bad guys are always ever present. Like there's, there's these other things that could be at play nothing has any weight here uh it's all very breezy up until you get the ben kingsley character and then arguably you know he's not the greatest villain in the world and you know that this doesn't comes out of nowhere it's just, all of a sudden it i feels have to care like about him it, right but see the connection plot we're supposed to because you know that's the throwback to the the opening the opening scene and like i say we're in no, no man's land getting up to kingsley so i i see the connection to kingsley and understand that as being where the script wants to go uh, but it doesn't really work be because along the way you know it's it's just sort of by the numbers type of stuff and i'm thankful that i have you know this cast is cool to hang out with and you know there's some moments which is sort of fun but you know is what it is i'm just wondering like would this have been better because i think in the beginning it's not robert redford it's not uh, ben kingsley it's just these other actors who are just younger yeah, one of them is uh, Gary <laughs> Hirschberger, is that his name? Who was Mike in Twin Peaks. He was the young Redford. And I mm-hmm. uh, forget the young Ben Kingsley. Um, but There's a guy who looks like Bill Hader just a little bit. And I don't know why. Yeah. So <laughs> that, I guess that's always a risk, too, if, if the characters don't really look like the actors that they're going to be when they age. Um, mm-hmm. I'm fine with that. Like it is, it is what it is. It's it's, no, back, but it's, it's backstory. But, but do we need this story to actually have like a twenty or thirty year difference in time? No. Like, do we need this? I don't know. So because mm-hmm. they're like these sort of students who just hack into into stuff and they just I don't know. They're like these activists. They're activists. <laughs> <laughs> so if if this was actual Robert Redford and actual Ben Kingsley, they reveal at the end that this is Ben Kingsley, who you thought was dead or in prison or something like, no, I've been doing this all along. This would have made some kind of a difference because I'm just like, like, I feel like Joe Pesci, like, the fuck is this guy? <laughs> it's just, it's just, yeah, that's how. <laughs> yeah, yeah that, that's a fair enough comment. But I think... You know, that's a common enough trope, right? Is that something in these characters' pasts, like distant pasts, um, impacts the, the future. And, you know, that, and that's fine. So because of the, the 20, 30 years spread, they're choosing these, these young actors. So that's a choice. I think that's an interesting piece if it's actually these actors and it's a 10-year spread instead. Yeah. Uh, that's, yeah. Cause, I, I think cause that you could probably put, does work better. Because you could put, I don't know, just... Do, give him like a cursory facelift or something. <laughs> just, oh. just get Robert Redford just to stretch his face just a tiny bit. <laughs> so he look younger. I don't know. Yeah. But then, because for me, this is a or this is a failure just a tiny bit. When mm-hmm. I should be able to look at a char- uh, the character reveal should tell me something, right? Like I look at the face and yeah, and you go like, oh no, it's mm-hmm. this guy. It's Cosmo. No, no, they have to tell me. Cosmo. I'm like, what the fuck is Cosmo? <laughs> oh, Cosmo. Cosmo. This is Cosmo. It's just like, oh, the guy I totally forgot about because he was in here for three and a half minutes at the very beginning and he looked completely different. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's just like, oh, they have a history now. Okay, great. So it's just, yeah. 
Yeah. I think at this point, my yeah. brain is switched off. I feel I'm uh, a little bit like you often are in some of these films. Like at this point, I'm sort of switched off, you know, logic and, and caring and, and questioning too much. And I'm just, yeah, okay, yep, got it. This is the guy from the opening that, that went to prison. He didn't see, there's, die. There's a difference, right? Like when you can, you can be switched off and be like, you know, it's cool. You know, like, I don't get anything that's <laughs> happening here, but I'm having fun. And then you can be sitting there like Homer Simpson, just like this blank stare with the sort of, and then zoom in on your brain and there's a donkey brain. <laughs> <laughs> that's kind of how I felt for half yeah. of the film. And after a while, you're just like, you know, I give up. <laughs> I don't like, this is how I feel watching Tenet, for instance. I'm just like, okay. This time I'm going to totally follow along and I'm going to enjoy following along and I don't. <laughs> so I think I'll be on like an attempt attempt number four. This time I'm I hope to God. I hope to sweet Jesus. Like and it on the fourth it's go. It's gonna work, yeah. It's gonna uh, and it does not. And then this is, is kind of gonna be the same story here. Like if I go and say like this time, this is this is this is sneaker time. This is, you know, this is a cold classic. I, this should be my film. You know, Dan Aykroyd's in it, and he and he wants to win a bag of, desperately wants to win a bag of. <laughs> yeah, yeah, weird. Like, and I'm, 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 and I, I'm totally, you know, I'm in the mode where I can, I can take this, I can take the the juvenility of this, and uh, and go That's with a it. Good I'm, word. I'm, I'm having, yeah, I don't know if I might have made it up, did I? Uh, but anyway, yeah, like I, I'm in a vein where I can go with this. Like it's, you know, it's cliched, and I've seen these tropes a million times. And you know, mm-hmm. Ben Kingsley, in, in my view, ex- exists to just, you know, play these types of characters, <laughs> these, you know, self-important, uh, you know, grand characters who really aren't that grand, you know. So that's, uh, you know, it, it just is what it is, and I'm, I'm there for it, you know, enough. Yeah. I'm not switched off. I'm not the the Homer Simpson donkey brain. <laughs> so I'm just thinking, this, especially especially because this is how, how I sometimes do this, right? When I watch this, these movies and I switch off because I feel like this movie's boring me, then I will just find something to entertain myself with, and then you know I'll just imagine that this is you know like a spiritual sequel to Days and Confused or something, and I'll just start, start working these allegories in, and then I'm. On this occasion, I was just thinking to myself, like, what if this was a template upon which Brian De Palma actually remade uh, Sneakers and made it into Mission Impossible? Like, let's make it an actually functioning movie for a change, right? <laughs> and then he just took the yeah. narrative template, trimmed down half the cast, and uh, and then decided, let's just go, let's just hang this movie on a few key visual cues. Tom, I want Tom Cruise to fall on the floor, but just about not hit it. I want a helicopter and a tunnel. I don't know what tunnel and how, but I want a helicopter and a tunnel. And then, and then they basically let's take Steven Tobolowski and then just let's let's just let's put poison into his drink so he goes to vomit in the in uh, vomit at work <laughs> or something like that. Which is essentially the same concept, right? Like they they kind of infiltrate the building because they compromise a guy, right? Yeah. <laughs> so, so you think to yourself like and there's this guy who's kind of on the run because people want something out of him because he's you know like been i don't know his his i don't know something has been revoked i don't know he's gone rogue uh no because he, he he's he's accused of killing his whole tr- troop of people but then again at the end of mission impossible when you see john void you realize oh i've seen this guy before because he wasn't 30 years younger <laughs> <laughs> 
Although I think some people are in Mission Impossible, and for some reason I kind of prefer talking about Mission Impossible in this film. People's people's criticism was that you know, like you don't understand what he's talking about because as he's because what what De Palma's doing is he's showing you what's happened, but while John Void is lying to Tom Cruise. <laughs> So he's telling, he's like, this is what I did, I survived, I put, and then, and as the Palmer's showing you what actually happened, so it's just, so that you get an idea that he's lying. Um, mm-hmm. <clears throat> meanwhile, there is no such hook in here, <clears throat> like, all you have is these two bozos, like, from the NSI going, coming over to see Robert Redford, almost at Tom Cruise, with an empty folder, by the way. Yeah. Yeah, this is my note, and this is gonna make an appearance. Like they're just showing these folders, like oh yeah, like you have this crew of people, and they all have a rap sheet, you know. Mm-hmm. Apart from this guy, and they have a folder that's and they carried an empty <laughs> folder. Like you could have just said like we don't have anything on you, we have, and they know they brought an empty folder and they theatrically opened it and said like tada, it's empty, you know. <laughs> And there are these moments in the in this film that make absolutely zero sense to me, and I feel like they should endear me. So I'm just wondering what is here, and that's supposed to hook you on. Is is the cast? Because I feel like this could have been um, the mm-hmm. big selling point on the of the film. Like, is this what it is? It, I I kept thinking that this uh, watching this feels a lot like the Ocean Ocean's Twelve and Ocean's Thirteen thing. It's it's about you know hit your cart on onto the backs of this cast and just enjoy because they're sort of being witty and, and bantering and, you know, these are living legends. <laughs> and they and- also make the mistake of thinking like, you know what would be cool? A high stuff. <laughs> <laughs> yes. There's no capoeira in here. That's, that's what this film needed. <laughs> just like, you know, like if you want to listen to, to a bit more of us moaning about, about Ocean's 12, patreon.com slash gems pod is where you want to go. It's a three hours and 10 minutes of just ranting and raving. <laughs> Lamenting and uh, some love for the original, but I'll leave it at that. Go listen. Um, but that's sort of what, that that's what I, I feel is a bit of a mistake with Ocean's 12 is, you know, trust us, hanging out with this cast is enough. And that's in here too. (laughs) And it isn't, yeah. (laughs) That's in here too. But I think that the through line here is a a little bit easier than than Ocean's Ocean's 12. And see, Ocean's 12 is... That that's a little bit of a ripoff in terms of that plotting. That may very well have worked. But anyway... Not to talk about Ocean's Twelve, <laughs> but here there's a little bit of a through line. Everything's sort of silly, and everything is everything feels like it's a late '80s, early '90s type of production, and is sort of slick and fine in in that regard. So I'm sort of along for the along for the ride. Because one of the criticisms that I think some people had was that it kind of feels like it's an early '80s film. By the way, how early? No, no, I, I feel that. Especially with the camaraderie of the team, and uh, you know when they when they take over Mary McDonald's place and bring all the equipment in, that feels like a very A team type of type of thing to take <laughs> over and plan their job. All that's missing is the montage, um, and I think the the hanging out and the banter that that's something that in the 1980s um, we, we saw. We talked about it back in October when we were talking about like horror comedy and comedy horror, but. I've been thinking a lot lately. You know what? The 80s were about um, genre mashups. 
So I, I think that we we got that with the buddy cop stuff where we're getting, you know, cop procedurals and comedy. And so I, I think that's just a piece that matured during the 80s. And I think that that's baked in here by having Aykroyd on board. And the whole thing was meant to be fun. I think the cast, uh, I think I was reading that the cast here absolutely adored this production and they loved one another and they enjoyed showing up on the set. And someone said, um, the only thing that would have made uh, making sneakers better would be if the lab had ruined all the footage and we got to go do it all over again. <laughs> so, I, mean, I was just thinking to myself, like when you're saying like everyone had a great time on set and you think to mm-hmm. myself, like, you know, sometimes when you think, when you hear people talk about, you know, that job I used to have, it's great. Like you get to come to work and hang out with people. Well, that's great, but you're also supposed to do a job. <laughs> so it's also this, like, you know, yeah, yeah, you're there together to achieve something. Just some, put something together. Not, put two and two. Not to make fart it around. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, like, like, you know, when someone says like, oh, I really love my job because, you know, like the tea breaks are amazing. I'm just like, okay. This is not type A friendly, is it? <laughs> so, so yeah, I just feel like this. Is this um, is this a big deal? Well, I think it was a big deal to get Robert Redford, Sidney Poitier. Was David Strathairn a, a big item at the time? I sort of forget. He he'd been around for a while. I forget how big he might have. It's um, let's it's, check. It's pre pre the River Wild, so you know. Sure is. <laughs> Which, as we've established, it's his movie. <laughs> yes, yes. Uh, oh, he was in a league of their own, by the way. <clears throat> I think I knew that. That's, but he'd been around for a while. Yeah, he. I'm. I'm not up to it yet. But he was in uh, some John Sale movies, wasn't he? He was one of his guys in the '90s and before. He was in Memphis Bell. Yeah, so I don't know. He was yeah. around, but I think he, yeah, he, yeah. I think he was more he, his more sort of well-known roles would have come mm-hmm. in the nineties. I have a feeling Sneakers is one of them. Um, oh yeah, I forgot he's in Dominic and Eugene, right? But yeah, here he is, Madawan. I think that's John Sayles, Eight Men Out. So yeah, he's a, he's around. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So he's oh, yeah, brother he's from been around. Planet. Yeah, but I kind of feel like the big selling point is getting Sidney Poitier. Absolutely. So let's get let's get Mr. Tibbs together with Three Days of the Condor. I can feel like when you say like this is a genre mashup, is this what it is? Let's make a paranoid thriller mashed with a heist movie and then with an ensemble comedy like yes. the Ghostbusters. Yes. And then let's get Dan Aykroyd because he's already paranoid. And he's going to love it. And it's like, we're doing a paranoid thrill. And you had me at paranoid, says Dan. Okay. <laughs> yeah, it's like someone knows Dan Aykroyd personally. He's like, oh my, this would be a perfect fit. Just get him spouting his, you know, like, alien nonsense. I tried to find some <laughs> info, but I think I, I couldn't find anything. But I, I wondered whether none of his lines were like scripted, like he was just riffing. <laughs> just I wondered the same thing. If, if, if some of these were just <laughs> like Kennedy yeah. or something. <laughs> completely stuff from his diary <laughs> yeah it's just like did he do uncredited rewrites <laughs> in there i don't know but um, it kind of feels like this is a dan Aykroyd special yeah. <laughs> yeah so yeah this 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 
films it, so to me some of that charm and some of that camaraderie uh comes off and i'm not expected to you know live and die with it the way that i think uh soderbergh expects me to do with oceans 12 because i feel that that's really all that's in oceans 12 is no no trust it these guys hanging out is the best um but here you know then we're off to another you know there's a chase or you know redford gets abducted and he's in a he's in a trunk or these these plot elements don't go together but we're on to another beat <laughs> he's in a trunk and he's using matches to light his way around the trunk and there's light in there yeah yeah the red oh, light <laughs> just to speak about the incoherence of uh some of this at one point they they did something successfully and i don't think i can remember what now probably is when when they stole this math chip or whatever the hell Mm -hmm. it is um and then they're they're having a party to congratulate themselves and they're hanging out and then it just seems like all of a sudden whistler the david strathairn Mm -hmm. character is doing something on the computer and the serious music kicks in and all of a sudden the rest of the rest of them who were playing Scrabble decide that, oh my God, we should start doing anagrams. <laughs> like it's just again and then the the music kicks in. Like it doesn't make sense. And it's like I'm watching this and I'm like, okay, yeah, I can this this I'm I'm going with the flow. And it's like, yeah, this is hitting me as something that I can I can follow this on an emotional level or on the, like these are the beats I'm supposed to follow because the music is just so the suspense is is the suspense is created through the edit and the music and I, but then when I stop for a moment and thinks that we were just dancing how the hell are we you know getting suspense music and moving scrabble tiles around and this is like meaningful to the plot like what where's the suspense in here and what what is David Strathairn doing it's it's sort of it's manipulative. The film is is manipulative because do, do you know do you know why like David Strathairn's doing like go, going off like and goes like I, I'm gonna go and investigate shit because they're playing Scrabble and this is just regular Scrabble so you can't see shit. <laughs> it's like they're putting words on the table. He goes like, I don't think this game's for me, guys. <laughs> I'm gonna read my Braille edition of Playboy, which apparently is a real thing. Uh, just I read it for the articles. <laughs> uh, but you know what I mean? Note. Like this, this moment. <laughs> buy yes. it for the articles. That's my note. Yeah, I guess for the Braille edition, you'd have to. Uh, Could you? Uh, I I bet there's some. Like, I wonder if they like the, you know, <laughs> naked women. And like, was this sort of like, um, like a three D sort of picture? <laughs> you could just go and touch it. <laughs> I don't know. It's probably just literotica stories. <laughs> Did the Braille edition of Playboy include pictures? <laughs> um, let me just. Yeah, no, I don't think so. No. Scanning a Braille Playbook. Hold on. There's a blog. Could only have been the articles. Otherwise, what's the point? I want to live in a world where they, uh, you know, like if you actually just like move your hand across it, then you'll just feel like the bumps and just put put together a picture of a of, of a nipple. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so you get to just you know like feel your way around. 
Our Scrabble scene. <laughs> so anyway, my point of the Scrabble scene is how does this how does this become this this major suspenseful moment other Out than nowhere. <laughs> yeah other than the film and the filmmakers they're manipulating me in this moment because they're playing the music just so they're editing they have david strathair and something random to cut to everyone's talking in a serious tone uh you know but that's just how sort of disjointed this is that the there's and it's and all of, like why would anyone suddenly think oh let's just rearrange words and this has something to do with some sort of mystery Oh, Citek and Stromy. Citek is not a word. Hmm. It's the name of a company. Why can't it be a word? Yeah, it could <laughs> be know? just, you know, like mashup of first syllables of two surnames of people who have put the company together. Like OPEC. <laughs> OPEC's yeah. not a word. What? If you rearrange that, it's like cope. My God, I need coping skills to get through this. <laughs> Anyway, it's just, it's bizarre. But if you turn off the brain and you just sort of don't listen, feel, don't watch, oh, you sound feel. Like, <laughs> you sound like Christopher Nolan advertising Tenet. Don't think about it too much. Just feel it. I'm like, this yeah. is code for this movie's shit. Okay. <laughs> just feel it. No, I mean, I, I get it. But I think I, yeah. I, there has to be a vibe I need to feel. Like, I, I like when you said, like, we made this comparison to Ocean's Eleven, I feel like this is exact opposite of what Ocean's Eleven was like, right? Because in Ocean's Eleven, all they cared about was the sort of the, let's riff and let's have fun hanging out. And you, know, and you feel like you're, you're hanging out with these people and all of a sudden, like, you realize no one cares about the plot and you kind of have to execute on this plot and this plot is kind of sort of just there. Meanwhile, in here, I feel like the filmmakers not are not caring about the the riffing and the banter and the chemistry. It's the actors and the players and performers who care about this. So they're just riffing about, they're just having fun. But the filmmakers are like, no, we have a plot to advance. Just sit down and play Scrabble. We have this to do. The, we have to do this thing. We have to yeah. we have to do the heist. We have to get David to to drive a car and pretend he's blind. Okay. Yeah, yeah <clears throat> and you know what? There, there it is. Right there is is quite possibly Robinson doesn't have. He doesn't have control over this in terms of, okay, let's let these guys riff and capture it and sort of make it something special and work with that for some high points in the film because they're there, but they're not, you know, they're, they're not as high as they are in Ghostbusters, for instance. Um, and mm-hmm. then at the same point, we've got these set pieces. Uh, Robinson doesn't, he doesn't know how to elevate these pieces that he does have to work with because they're all just sort of these little, you know, these little mini, you know, these little mini heights. But if you take something like Ghostbusters or you take something like Mission Impossible or even, you know, the parts of, uh, I'll say, Ocean's Eleven that work with the riffing and and mm-hmm. that type of stuff, you know, it, it's like those filmmakers know how to get the most out of the moment. But like you say, I think Robinson's like, okay, we can't get too hung up on the riffing. We got, because we've got this plot that we have to muddle through. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we've got this, well, we've got this set piece that we have to muddle through, but but we've got to get through this so we can get to Ben Kingsley. It, it, it's like these these moments, sh- there's, there's a handful of moments in here which should be much bigger. You know, they're fine-ish, <laughs> but they could be much bigger and much better. This, this film could be much better, even with this lightweight plot. I mean, for... I'm, I think I'm now honing in on why I don't like this movie, as in, like, why is this kind of just, ugh. 
Snickers, you know? Snickers. <laughs> Jakob Snickers. it's this sort of, the man-bear pig, the sort of a hybrid that's kind of like a nothing burger, that if it's swayed one direction, as in like, it replace Phil Alden Robinson at the helm with Ivan Reitman and commit to the Ghostbusters ensemble of riffage, <clears throat> Mm-hmm. You get a different movie out of it, but you mm-hmm. get a movie that kind of just lives and breathes its own um, life, right? It has its own soul on the back of the fact that these people are just hanging out together and you get to hang out with them, right? Or commit to the set piece, commit to the um, to the plot, but make it interesting and just hire the Palma to do it. Oh, well, they did in 1990-something, and they uh, made Mission Impossible on, mm-hmm. on the back of exact same plot, <laughs> almost, right? But but pick one. It, mm-hmm. But it kind of feels like the cast wants to riff and the filmmaker wants the plot. And it kind of feels like it's exactly like that. Like As you said, like, well, these people are just hanging around. They're just improvising lines. And then the director goes like, okay, let's, can we please move on? Like, he's just you know, anxious. Just, ah, oh, you know, I'm not going to be in time home for, you know, for Jeopardy or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> It's not Eastwood directing it, you know. <laughs> it kind of does feel like it doesn't like did it, you know, like, <laughs> like especially when it comes to these set pieces, it kind of feels mm-hmm. like it's almost like Clint Eastwood directed it as though like we're just doing it one time, guys. <laughs> uh, but it kind of feels like this is kind of where I have a problem with it, as in this movie is kind of a very mm-hmm. non-committent to anything. You replaced the, the the filmmakers with people who would have I don't know, an idea to go one of these places, it would work. Mm-hmm. Because the rest of the mashup elements would just fall in line. Meanwhile, you have all these sort of conflicting interests all vying for supremacy and you're in like a dead heat at a draw. Because there are moments in here right, that I like. Like, I really like the um, when they go and send Robert Redford to infiltrate the mathematician's office um and he kicks oh, yeah. the door down and then uh, this this czechoslovakian lady when i did check <laughs> i Dr. did check she's she's from czechoslovakia i'm just like hold on when did czechoslovakia fall apart but at the time of filming in ni- that was just december 1992 so it checks out <laughs> checks out yeah <laughs> <laughs> that's exactly what happened then checks out yeah um, <laughs> um no it was amicable i'm told um but you know <clears throat> but you know like the idea when he's trying to convince this woman that he's a pi he has no idea how to sell this to her mm-hmm. so they feed him lines uh and they feed him just like oh you know something about giving head yeah <laughs> <laughs> and he just almost says it yeah <laughs> I just feel like this is this is a moment that's probably not in the script very well. They're just like having fun on set, and this just it feels like this is a Ghostbusters <clears throat> moment. <laughs> right? Yeah, and, and and it's one of those when I'm thinking like I could have a movie with more of those, and the plot would just be that you know I can not not a nuisance, but I can I can add on to it. Yeah, or conversely when they have the set piece when Robert Redford's very slowly advancing through a room, you know, like you could have I don't know put more effort into it at the expense of everything else it would still work but they kind of didn't <laughs> so. it's sort of like that joke in austin powers where will ferrell is the henchman and the uh uh what is it the 
the the heavy equipment is going to roll over him and and Will Ferrell's <laughs> like, like no! but, <laughs> but it's moving ridiculously slowly and it's 30 feet away <laughs> yeah and that's Robert Redford and that's Robert Redford steam here. rolling no <laughs> and then the, the sort of the it, it's again like steam again perfect comparison because there's there are moments in here where they're just trying to solve problems and feels like michael myers trying to reverse do a three-point turn in a (laughs) in a very narrow corridor just going (laughs) yeah just an inch at a time and it feels like this is their problem solving and it's just like they're you're not accomplishing much but at least when michael myers is doing it he's doing it for comedic effect but everyone's taking this seriously because i think phil alden robinson is kind of looking at them and says to them you need to look serious because <laughs> so, like the steven tobolowski said that there's this is a whole dramatic set piece this whole sort of seduction piece uh, mm-hmm. mary mcdonald who looks like this uh, woman from home alone i'll always m- mix them too what oh no, no, I can never. You mean uh, the mom? Yeah. Catherine O'Hara? Catherine O'Hara, yes. She okay. looks kind of like her. It's with the hair as well. Oh, okay. Divine. <laughs> Love Mary McDonald. <laughs> she's oh, so this, great. Oh. No, she's, is she's great. And... Crush, crush Saga continues. Oh, hold on. <laughs> no, sorry, wrong. <laughs> <laughs> Where's my Candy Crush Saga book? Go, music go for it. She's she's worth it. She's great about Delicious. <laughs> um, <laughs> there we go. Uh, great. So, yeah, where were we on this? I still have my this, brain switched this, off, this, and I'm sort Steve, of enjoying it. But I, I was just I, I appreciate I was just everything this, you're saying. <laughs> the Stephen Tobolowski thing I was oh. I was mentioning. <clears throat> yeah, and a lot of his Werner? stuff is improv. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. It belongs in a different movie. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, like the, the eye drops, I think that's great with, with him. And he's like got when a, you think of- a line about pounding breasts when he's making food. Which is I know. Uh, that was improv. Yeah. You have to pound them just right. <laughs> but, but then the whole conceit, this is again from like a Ghostbusters film where they get Mary McDonald to uh, <clears throat> write down the phrase he has to say and then she just fishes mm-hmm. out a word at a time and she goes like oh, I didn't say the word passport I really like your voice <laughs> love your voice you know there's one word I would like to hear in your voice passport <laughs> you know in a different movie this would work but then all of a sudden like there's this sort of you know, I think River Phoenix wearing a MAGA hat. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Basically. And then going to the toilet and the, the security guy goes like, hold on, he didn't come out. He spent an hour in there. And he goes like, no, I see him. He's outside. No, it's Dan Aykroyd. Yeah. You know, but meanwhile, in a different time zone, I suppose, Mary McDonald's just fishing out a word at a time. Verify. <laughs> I see they go on a, they go on a date. And then the day dance, and they have dim sum or something, isn't there? At some, but the yeah. dim sum line is it's like, do, do you fancy dim sum? And she goes like, no, not particularly. He just goes and, gets <laughs> and then he goes up to the buffet himself. Yeah. <laughs> and then so they eat there and they talk, and she's fishing out these lines, and then they go to his place, and he's making another meal. Which I know, is, right? 
like he's making another meal from scratch it's so bizarre and crazy and you're right because it's daytime isn't it when they're doing i know it makes no sense whatsoever so did they go to get absolutely hammered during daytime and they came back home to have another they have another dinner like this is not a good idea i've done this before (laughs) i guess i mean i was convinced once like we went out like um for dinner that we flew to belgium to uh, visit our colleagues and at the belgian site of the company i used to work for and then we just like, went out for dinner we had steak dinners and whatever uh and later on like let's go to a pub and you know like have have, have a few beers and then they convinced me to have another dinner <laughs> just it's not like it didn't take much convincing it was just like by my boss going like nobody could have two dinners <laughs> <laughs> Oh, yes. wow. Challenge accepted. I what a big mistake. See you and raise you a dessert. Yeah. yeah. So <laughs> what would, should happen in this movie is Stephen Topolowski, after having the second dinner, instead of going to check on Mary McDonnell while she's having a phone call, he should be on the toilet. <laughs> this whole time, <laughs> just shitting his guts out because his brain should have told him. This is in enough. <laughs> Ten thousand calories in a day is way too many, and then we're taking care of this immediately. <laughs> Honestly, I wonder if this is this is something that was shot following a, a slightly different version of the script. I wonder if there's some iteration of the script where there's two dates, and uh, they go on a date. <laughs> Uh, McDonald and Tobolowski go on a date once, then they go on another date, and there's something constructed around sort of a, a longer con with Steve mm-hmm. Tobolowski. That's my suspicion because like it, it just it, it doesn't hold up. It has. This is the only way it would make sense, right? Because mm-hmm. otherwise, it's so they she would have to record these phrases and then ship it off to um, Dan Aykroyd's guys, and they have to splice it together to to this phrase of. My voice is my pass passport. <laughs> <Yeah>. Verify me. <laughs> oh. And then just they go into the into the place, and then all of a sudden Steven Tobolsky finds out, and they drive in there, and they all meet. <laughs> yeah, so, makes yeah. no sense. Yeah, there's and something. Me, and, there's yeah. something. And this is there. following this whole spy intrigue with FBI killing Russian ambassadors. Oh yeah, I forgot about that. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, true. What's that have to do with that? Anything? Uh, another piece. While we're picking about the the pieces that don't make sense. So, uh, Redford and the crew they they steal this chip, which has some sort of mathematical code, which allows the decryption of you know anything and everything or whatever that means. And then they deliver it to these two guys, who I guess work for the Russians or they work for Cosmo. They work for Ben Kingsley as mm-hmm. it turns out. So Redford is dropping this off to them at a cafe or something. And Sidney Poitier is like 50 feet away and he sees a, he sees a newspaper with a, a front, front page story. Mathematician killed. <laughs> it was a slow news day. Okay? <laughs> I guess so. And then I don't even, I don't understand why this set off the alarms, not even getting into like 
what's who's the last mathematician to be on the front page of a newspaper whenever they died? Well, the long-haired Russian guy who is like the rock star of math, math, mathematics is like Richard Feynman, just delivering these lectures with slides <laughs> projected into his face. <laughs> <laughs> this guy, Donald Logue. Uh, so anyway, I don't know why this set off all these, you know, alarms of Sidney Poitier. Oh, this is this is bad news. These guys must have killed them. These guys that. Redford, my partner, is dropping this chip off to. I don't understand these wild connections, and that turns into a, a car chase, and mm-hmm. it just. And by the way, the car chase. Did you not recognize the tunnel? Uh, it's, it looked very familiar. And it's very picturesque, but uh, no. I've I've recognized the tunnel. I think it's a. I think it must be in L.A. <clears throat> but this or is San Francisco, because I think they're they're actually shooting in San Francisco. Well, maybe they're not I, because I don't remember a Golden Gate Bridge. No, no. When 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 they're dropping off the um the, the chip to these two bozos, mm-hmm. the Golden Gate Bridge is in the background. Okay. But I think the actual chase could be in LA because this is the this is the I think this is the tunnel where they shot the chase in the Terminator. Oh, maybe. Yeah, maybe. That's kind of how I feel. That's kind of yeah. So. Uh, yeah but then like while we're on the chip by the way i think this is kind of like like this is one of those things i kind of wanted to touch on because which is kind of extraneous to the plot because we could take this movie apart if if we wanted to not that we haven't yeah we're, (laughs) we're doing that now but i kind of feel like this movie was kind of conceived because i'm trying to kind of see this as like a spiritual not spiritual successor but kind of like a companion piece to war games Mm-hmm. Right, where War Games was this movie about these, like coming out of these sort of fears and anxieties of nuclear holocaust, right? Like this is what 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 if what if technology took over and then eliminated? It's essentially this sort of like the pre-Terminator Terminator, right? What if? Okay. We, I haven't seen War Games, so you haven't seen War Games. I have not. No. Oh, you have to get on this, but it's essentially this sort of idea of like this kid is a hacker and he accidentally mm-hmm. hacks into a NORAD, and he thinks he's playing a game, but he's actually engaging with a with the supercomputer who actually thinks uh, this is for real, mm-hmm. and then it's going to start deploying rockets and whatever because it's going to be fi- fighting against Russians because he, because Matthew Broder- Broderick's playing as the Russians. So it's kind of coming out of these fears of nuclear Armageddon mm-hmm. as a result of a um, a stupid mistake. I think what if technologies are 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 you know are downfall in this way, and I feel like is this kind of like a follow up to this, um, because all all of a sudden like you have this like what if technology is like there's this piece of technology that could just ruin the entire world what if there's no secrets too many secrets cooties rat semen (laughs) (laughs) yeah maybe that's there maybe that's like these these writers because they these writers these are the guys that wrote war games right yep um so that makes sense that that's there, but you know what? This this script and this this production and what we get on screen, they they don't lean into that. You know, like th- this film could be infinitely better if it were to lean into a, a couple things or all the things that we're talking like about. Either but, of these, <laughs> yeah, yeah. If if you lean into this Armageddon, if you lean into this sort of camaraderie comedy, if you lean into set pieces, 
the, you know, then you, then you have something for, for sure. And this is just, so yeah, th- this connection that you're making just sort of script wise or, you know, loose social thematics. Yeah, totally can see that, but that's sort of a launch pad for whatever this becomes. Like that's just sort mm-hmm. of the, uh, you know, the golden goose in the middle here. It's, but it's not really meaningful to sneakers. Like no one's going to walk away from sneakers and, uh, you know, be thinking about, Oh, the, the potential peril of this, you know, math chip that can solve any problem and decode anything. Do you know why? This is me thinking out loud. I think the reason why no one's going to do this is because this movie was was conceived in 1982 and was supposed to come out in 1983 when Cold War was still a thing. Because then you have, oh, what if it's the Russians? Like, imagine this chip falling into the enemy's hands. Like the... Uh, the state actor with malicious intent, you know, like what if the Russians had access to all our information? What if, what if they could do just that? Like, you know, all, all of a sudden this, this becomes perilous. This becomes I don't know, a little bit more exciting because I think at the time people didn't really realize it. What this movie was presaging was the Edward Snowden slash NSA sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> You know, that's true. If, if all of this is developed in the 80s, it, you know, maybe it gets a major overhaul to say, well, how can we take the moving parts that we have that we like uh, and, and turn it into ben something? Kingsley, a Russian accent. Ben, well, that's that's the piece. Well, it, it can't be a Russian because the Russians are sort of our friends now. And that can be sort of almost a comic piece because they've got this ambassador or a consulate guy that uh, Robert Redford knows, but it, it's never explained. He just um, dies in a limousine. He just di- Re- just request sanctuary mark. in my car. Request sanctuary in my car. Like, so so okay. <laughs> yeah. So I think they're just sort of moving pieces around, and how could we make this work? And you know, um, and l- because it once upon a time was the Russians in the script that were the villains. Well, what do we do now? How do we change the plot that we already have and just sort of move things around? Well, we'll keep the Russians here, but they're our friends now. Yeah, that that makes you know what you're making that make a lot of sense that, that it was a a latter rewrite that imagined what the ben kingsley character was and lo, no let's connect this to their youth they were activists they were you know they were uh you know wannabe robin hoods uh back in back in the day and they were friends and one of them got busted that's total probably tack on to mm-hmm. to this yeah, that, that that makes total total sense. But then it takes on an iteration where let's let's bring in the 1980s, you know, f- fun camaraderie uh, humor. You know, bring in the 80s humor. So all this gets tacked into tacked onto this. You know, way after the fact, way after the fact, way uh, past. You know, its original its original form. Exactly. Yeah. I think you're right. <laughs> no, it's just no. I'm just wondering. I mean, they do mention in the film. It's like, what if it's the Russians? It's not the NSA. The NSA don't. And the Russians are like the red herring. Mm. Yeah. For a, for a half a second, and I'm just wondering. Like, even in the 80s, this could have worked. Just make the Russians the red herring, and it's like, in fact, this is an American corporation. You know. Hello? Total fucking bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> It's an interactive CD-ROM. Yeah. So, no, I'm just, um, I'm just thinking like this. This movie just feels like it was written like a decade earlier and and shelved. Mm-hmm. 
and, and I just wonder because there's like a money piece as well in there like there's just like there's this many thousands of dollars we're gonna get between like the six of us I'm like you're just like do you, can you divide like this you're not gonna get a lot uh, yeah, of money that out was, of this that's gonna make an, an appearance but let's let's talk about it now 175,000 <laughs> for this big job so minus expenses and then split that up amongst five people <laughs> It's yeah. not a, it's not a big job. Tell me, this is an early night, like early nineties, one hundred and seventy-five. Not a, not a lot. Like a decade earlier, probably a bit. Still, probably not a lot of money. But you know. Yeah, but still, it's 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 such it it's was such a like, ridiculous number. It's like Austin Powers, Ocean's Eleven. You know, like with Doctor Evil goes like one million dollars, <laughs> and everyone's just this change, small pocket money for us, dude. Yeah, like, you have to go Ocean's Eleven. Like, how much are we stealing? Two hundred and seventy million or whatever. Eight yeah. figures each. Yeah, <laughs> or, or something like that, right? And then all of a sudden, it kind of makes makes more sense. Like, we're we're stealing so much money that is it, it? It's it's a physical burden to carry it out. Yeah, <laughs> hundred seventy five thousand. This is a briefcase full of money, and it's not even full. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, sad such a sadness where's my this is such a sadness oh I don't have it here <laughs> uh, <laughs> nice oh I've got this though big bag of shit <laughs> no I don't know I mean just like one thing I kind of had had a bit of a note what did you think about the music by the way because that's James Horner yeah, I think I think it's pretty effective in here. Like it's it's very typical. Like this is not uh this is not a score that I think James Horner was, you know, told, well, we need this for this set piece and we need, you know, this heightened moment here. I, I think that uh he's probably, you know, drawing from some of his other works and uh, you know, I'm not the guy to make these connections as easily. Just the music's not my thing, but uh, I think that he's just just Concocted a in. whole metaphor about a chorus, and it's like, what do you mean? <laughs> Music's not your thing. But I think this is sort of phoned in, but it's sort of on point. Like it works, and uh, I think uh, Robinson he he needs the music because it's a big part of how he's generating his suspense in in uh, a number of the scenes. Uh, so it's it's fine, it works, but I, it's it's not spectacular. No, I would even go a step further. It kind of feels phoned in. Yeah. Because it yeah. kind of like James Horner is known for the sort of the you know, yeah. like the sort of like he, this is signature, right? Yeah, he made an entire score based on this. Like there's the main melodies, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, the, yeah, you can just feel that this was just something. Yeah, no, I can I can cook this up in a week. <laughs> Like it just—it's fine. It does its job, and it's—and uh, yeah. uh, this is That's something I would bus. even say that Robinson sort of—he does lean into trying to create suspense. Like he's going through all the motions here perfectly, but this, you know, and the, this this score does does the trick. But you know, it's, it's could not, you it's imagine neither when, memorable when, nor special? But it's almost like to, on the level of pa- self-parody, and I'm thinking myself it leaned into the sort of like put Ivan Reitman in there, and it could lean into the comedy. Mm-hmm. It would make more sense because they they play Scrabble, and all of a sudden it goes like, too many secrets." <laughs> 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 
<laughs> just this sort of this solemn music and it just feels like a parody you know like this this is south park level of of, of horseshit sort of bullshittery you know yeah like this sort of bum, bum, bum. i know i just fucking really <laughs> it's yeah, I I don't know. It kind of like the music kind of felt a little bit phoned in, and I just wondered like mm-hmm. when I was seeing things. But I'm just no, thinking no. To myself, <laughs> no. what is the like the legacy of this movie as a result of this? Because we were kind of taking this movie apart, and like the plot doesn't really make much sense. I think thematically there's something in here, but I'm like, does this movie kind of have some kind of a legacy or like a ripple effect or anything any, any sort of influence over what what came well after after next apart from the fact that i've already mentioned that mission impossible essentially remakes it <laughs> yeah and you know there's an element of this being ocean six in my mind too it is, yeah uh i don't know to, to me i see that this is <clears throat> this is a project in a way um comes together at you know the studio level and at at the level where people are removed from the front lines of the script and the storytelling. Like it, this, this is a manufactured studio piece because it, you know, you said in, in the opening, it, it, the project came back to life. It got the defibrillator in the chest that it needed as soon as Robert Redford walked in and what his attraction to it was, I don't really know. Um, but to me, this, this is his bucket list type of film. Look, I'm an aging star and I'm, not the big box office draw that I was, um, but can we put together a, a cast and have a, you know a little bit of a mashup genre thing where we've got you know like a heist movie and a, a brother in arms comedy type of thing and make some money on that? Like this, this is can I still open a movie? And I think that's what it turns into with Sidney Poitier. Sidney Poitier is still a name. Like he's a name about town, but he does not open films, right? That's something that in the 90s was Tom Cruise and that was Tom Hanks was turning into that and Robin Williams and, you know, uh, Eddie Murphy, these types of stars, they would open films based on their name alone. And Robert Redford was not that. Sidney Poitier was not that. But can we can we sort of pool our resources and sell this based on these legacy Hollywood stars? So that's sort of what I see this is like, this is very much a, a project. It has a style, as I say, in a way of the late eighties, cause I see the ghostbusters piece in here. I see the sort of stylish action comedy stuff, like with the whole business that you mentioned with uh, Strathair and the blind man driving a vehicle, you know, in reverse and then forwards, like that's straight out of armed and dangerous or something. Like it's just, you know, we're well, not in- increasingly anticlimactic, <clears throat> by the way. But hey, yeah, true. <laughs> so, uh, you know, I, I see this as a, a studio. It's gonna be film. a small slope. <laughs> yeah, yeah <laughs> it's even, that's that's something totally out of a John Candy film, isn't it? Like or a Steve yeah. Martin, like totally. So, you know, I see this as very much a, a function of its time, you know, sort of a pooling together of ideas and <clears throat> genres and resources and. Um, and as a result, like after this conversation and just a few minutes ago, we're putting together that this, probably this script existed in a different form, you know, a decade or seven years prior. That makes total sense. But I think that it's it's coming into its final form once it's greenlit and it's probably got rewrites. Were there any rewrites on it or are these two are the only writers? I mean, 
Phil Alden Robinson is a co a co writer okay. on it. So I feel like this may have been. I mean, he probably didn't didn't I don't know have enough influence to earn himself a credit. Yeah. So, <clears throat> so there's that. <clears throat> okay, because I was wondering, like, but it does feel like something that's um, been tinkered with, you know, quite a, quite a bit, but to get here and uh, you know for for it to go through all these motions and you know still be sort of fun, which it was for me, uh, I I think that's you know a, a very mild win, um, but yeah, it's it doesn't hold up to much scrutiny. It it really doesn't, and I think it's it's is there a legacy piece? No, like I think Oceans <laughs> happens without it. I think Mission Impossible happens without it. This isn't a stepping stone between anything and something else in my mind. I think it's just sort of a piece that brought is brought together, um, you know, based on the era that we're that we're in. And you know, it probably looks good to a studio too because you've uh, we're also getting into the '90s where we're looking for maybe action or suspense film with a little bit of a hook. Like, what can the hook be? Well, the hook could be you know, these two older generation stars that are the stars again, because you've got those jokes in there. I'm too old for this. Like it doesn't Redford jump over uh, bank mm-hmm. teller's desk or something. And oh, I'm too old for this. So you got that type of thing in here. Uh, yeah. And I think it just, it is what it is. It exists in the nineties. I think it's a studio, a studio film all the way. Like there's not necessarily a lot of TLC in here from the creatives. And I think, uh robinson you know he's he's doing fine-ish but you know it's he's he's missing he's missing the the business of this would be stronger if he leaned into one or two or three of these other elements because everything is just sort of ah, you get a little bit of a a rise in the action but that's that's not as good as it could have been and then you've got this set piece and that's yeah it's okay but it's not as good as it could have been and then underneath you've got this sort of hack job of a script to get mm-hmm. you to to Ben Kingsley's reveal, so you know, like it, it just it's it's hobbled together, and in a way, after this conversation and actually sort of getting into the business of picking it apart, like I'm that much more impressed that it's you know it amused me and entertained me the way the way that it did, um, because yeah, it does not it does not hold up well to a to a close look under the hood. By the way, just before we close, because it can this could have been <clears> just like oh. That's a good sort of final take on the movie. But then I really wanted to ask, because we didn't really touch on this. Ben Kingsley as a villain. Thoughts? <laughs> uh, yeah, Niccolo and I talked, when we talked about Die Hard, we talked a lot about Alan Rickman. and Not Ben Kingsley, but <clears throat> I think Alan Rick- Rickman in 1988 with Die Hard, he sets a new standard for what, we've called the nineties villain, right? So um, I think you have a lot of stage actors and you've, you've got a lot of productions stage actors are coming forward and they're, you know, doing this, this big, interesting villain. Um, Gandhi himself. (laughs) Gandhi himself is, is doing it. So you've got this idea of what a nineties villain should be, should be entertaining. It should be larger than life. And ideally he has an accent. So Ben Kingsley comes with an accent and a really stern look and an Oscar. So he automatically seems like he'd be a good choice uh, for this type of a role. But, you know, he doesn't necessarily pull it off in my mind because there's nothing special about that. Like, wasn't it one of the, was it Blood Rain that he was in that wasn't... (laughs) I think what there's a something role like, for, like how, <laughs> yeah. how the mighty have fallen. I know, but so he's 
he takes these roles you know and species he wasn't strictly the bad guy in that but he was like this stern authoritative figure like he takes these roles and he's fine but where does he not look stern like he cannot look and like anything else but a disappointed father (laughs) the second half of iron man two wasn't it or three whichever iron man he was in christ you have to remind me (laughs) so but anyway every well every once in a while he'll try to be he'll try to be quirky and that's all well and good i guess my point is he's an easy guy to you know go to for this type of you know stern looking overacting big actor with an accent like i said last year it's patrick stewart that you can afford you know that's that's who that's who ben kingsley is and it's seldom does he like he takes these roles and he just sort of goes through the motions i think sound of thunder is another one now that i think about it i think he's Mm -hmm. in that and it's just all the same type of thing you know and maybe sometimes he has a weird hair piece and sometimes he doesn't you know (laughs) like it's so am i sold on ben kingsley no no i'm not no same here Especially that I feel like they they gave him a suit that's like two sizes too big. <laughs> that <laughs> affected his run- running gait. Yeah, yeah, I don't. Know. He he run he runs like this, like someone who's trying to get to the toilet on time, but they're already late. And it's just this is just yeah. damage mitigation at this point. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Thighs are clamped together, but he's still trying to take, you know, four foot strides. It's Jesus <laughs> Christ. Like this is such a bad run. I don't get it. It's yeah. been almost in slow motion. I know. It was only for like a 15, 20 foot run too, but it was, it stood out. <laughs> it sounds like it made an impression with you too. He yeah. makes Steven Seagal look like Tom Cruise when it comes to running. <laughs> God, when did Steven Seagal run? Well, it's a good question. Have you seen him recently? Probably not. Not very recently that he run. Like he's, uh, he doesn't look like someone who believes in cardio. He doesn't. He doesn't look like a runner. <coughs> True uh, that. No. <laughs> no, I just I, I totally didn't buy him. Especially that you know, like the reveal is kind of ridiculous. But it's just I, I don't like the big confrontation at the top of the building when he has a gun and it's just it's almost like from back to the future part two (laughs) you know this is every i think most of the cast here are taking a job i think Ackroyd is taking a job oh this could be fun right um and it's it's a a sort of a part-time job because he's a supporting character he gets to riff and talk about stuff that he's sort of interested in um river phoenix was he he had just finished uh, my own private idaho which i think was Mm -hmm. a really you know hard and uh, sort of emotionally draining shoot so he wanted to just take an easy uh an, an easy light gig and that's sort of he's sort of on record as saying that and that's totally what i feel this is and back to kingsley this is just a paid gig play a heavy you know use your use your 90s villain accent you know that's that's sort of what this is so i think there's a lot of these people that are just it's just it's just a gig so there's james horner like i think there's a lot of that in in play here as well yeah oh it's it's such a mediocre film it's just hurts i mean it's easy it's the only way i could talk about it is basically by taking it apart like i'll be honest fair enough i you know i agree with everything but it's but it's a mediocre film for me that doesn't hurt all right it's yeah. like for me this was kind of like when I'm thinking about like the legacy of it as well. 
there isn't much because the movie doesn't lean into anything. Like it, it almost feels like it's it's ironic because if it had been released a decade earlier, it could have probably fit in much better. As like, oh, that's a paranoid caper, because you know, like the yeah. Cold War is a thing, you know. And then we have this twist with it's not the Russians, it's us. Oh no, it's the companies, corporate villain. Look at that. It's the eighties again, mm-hmm. corporate yeah. villain, right? Yeah, <clears throat> yeah. Or projected 20 years into the future and it's just like you know all of a sudden like or even 15 years into the future in a post 9-11 world where you have this sort of paranoid conspiracies of like the patriot act and whatever fits in there it's just okay but lean into something because either lean into the comedy and make fun of yourself or lean into the uh, just lean, lean into the spectacle or lean into the plot but if you lean into all three at once you're not leaning into anything you're just staying still not good. Uh, there might be a way to lean into everything and get a little bit more value for your buck in each of those categories. But yeah, I, I agree here. It, you know, the, it's an equal effort in all and it's not working. And I would say it's just Robinson doesn't know how to elevate those elements into a way that sort of lands. I don't ele- elevate. If you want to elevate all three, like this needs some kind of a spectacular talent to kind of make it cohere yeah. because I yeah. think it doesn't really. And that's kind of my biggest gripe of it. With that, are we ready to? Uh, sure. What's your, you know, final final take and a star rating on this pu- on this puppy? Ah, <laughs> uh, is this an uncut gem? It's worth checking out in my mind. Um, it is. <laughs> it is not a valuable jewel, though, by any stretch of the imagination. It's like an, a very affordable onyx or rose quartz at the most um star rating around two and a half three with a smile but you gotta really be watching it the right way because um everything like i know you're not vibing with it and that's great but i agree with everything (laughs) everything that we've talked about totally agree with but i i can get through this with a it that the pacing sort of works for me and i guess i'm okay with the you know this type of manipulation it sort of works the you know going through the motions that that the film does works for me and maybe it's just there's a familiar uh there's a familiar beat to this that you know this is just filmmaking i'm used to and i can sort of you know step in and step out and step back in and i know what's going on and it's just sort of fun to have on the the tv behind me and it has that type of comfort food for me i I don't know but at any rate not hating it as i probably should um but yeah i mostly mostly had a smile on my face through this oh goodness so i think i'm gonna go with two out of five on this just two out of five because there's I, there's there are some elements that are kind of fun to look at but overall this is a mess and this is a mess of, of its own making because i feel like there's a there's a failure in communication somewhere up top in there when some people there are different different factions of people walked into this production with different ideas and they didn't really talk about what they really want out of this so, so it's just it's a as a spectacle it's not memorable as a as a plot heavy and almost in globe trotting but as a plot heavy paranoid thriller it's not engaging and as a comedy is not really um light-hearted enough in so it's it's just bits of everything all on one plate 
And you know what? Sometimes I'd like to have a steak. Just, <laughs> just, and it's just like no, like gourmet. <laughs> like, what is this? A tasting menu? What's happening? <laughs> it's an amuse bouche. You, no. <laughs> What am I paying for? No, no, it's two out of five. It's just like, I'm sorry, but not worth my time. I think I'm, I'm not going to be jumping on the bandwagon just yet. And I, I this is a movie I, I don't have fun with. I have fun at. Uh, and, you know, it makes Shadow look like the Godfather. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> no, it, no, it probably doesn't. Um, but the Shadow is better because at least it kind of has some, I don't know. There's some something about it in terms of like how because I'm I'm because I'm I'm why why do I compare it to is because I can I kind of feel like you can easily see both movies as parodies of 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 themselves, just easily just say like well one one has Genghis Khan who just hypnotized New York and the other one is just has Ghostbusters doing Parallax View or something right, um, but then. I could I could see that there is some kind of a commitment to a guy wearing a bandana with his nose out where I, I feel in here it's kind of I could almost feels like Robinson didn't really have the sort of the balls to kind of go and say you know I I, I really want to lean into this like let's let's do, let's do something interesting in here I feel like there were just this movie coasts it doesn't sneak it coasts that's what it is two and a half no two two out of five two out of five stupid <laughs> so you like the shadow better because it's easier to pick on no because i in feel part. like there's in part but I, I feel like there's there's some kind of a commitment to something in there like you know like the, you can feel like there are filmmakers going going say, going going in and saying i want a dagger that bites people you know <laughs> i know it's gonna look stupid but i want a dagger that bites people you know or something to that effect. Or I want a cabinet of, of of mirrors like from Lady from Shanghai. Makes no sense, but you know I want it there. <laughs> or I I want uh, I want to direct Alec Baldwin to look like he's just about ripped one. <laughs> <laughs> like in here they just feel like you know like like whenever people are having fun like it almost feels like dad's gonna walk in and say like please don't have this much fun because this much fun is not good like it's like the, it was made by the mormons you know <laughs> <They're> just, <laughs> it's just, if you have too much fun you're gonna go to hell <laughs> uh, stop having fun guys because now we have we have to go shoot the the quiet walk scene stop you're having too much fun yeah, it's like uh, a, a sexual analogy for this. I don't want to use it, but it's funny. It was like, no, it's just like, no, if you, uh, <laughs> no, never mind. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna do this. Good no. boy, good boy. <laughs> Top three. You're, you're very <laughs> mature. You're, you're so grown up. <laughs> oh, okay. Uh, Top threes. Yeah. All right. As as an honorable mention. I sort of like uh, Dan Aykroyd's uh, conspiracy theories. They sort of <laughs> amused me as we went through them. Uh, that was fine. Another honorable. I, I like the look of the smoke bomb and even the conceit of the smoke bomb and the safety deposit box that triggers the, uh, the smoke alarms in the opening heist. So there are those. <laughs> Number three, 
and this is absolutely ridiculous, but I laughed my ass off. So it's it's on the positive side because it was so funny. So Cosmo's telling his story and how he went to prison and he, he met this crime family and he got out and he helped them with their finances, their budgets, you name it. And then he shows on screen the most basic of Excel spreadsheets. <laughs> Oh, I've got it on my bottom three too. I called it Excel porn. <laughs> He's citing this as his his computer brilliance, and he just brings up a like a sheet, and I think it says entertainment fifteen thousand dollars, electricity twenty thousand dollars, and it's like the the lamest spreadsheet hey, paid, you've ever them. seen. Hey. <laughs> but he totally sorted out this this crime family. So anyway, that made me smile so that gets on my <laughs> top list um i did legit legitimately sort of like the phone call tracing scene where they have a semi uh, polygraph simulator trying to ascertain the the guy's voice as if he might be truthful or not and meanwhile they're also tracing the call and it it goes through the 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 beats pretty nicely of creating sus- creating the suspense and mm-hmm. you know the cut the cutting and the the close ups uh, sort of worked for me and then number one just because it's it's ridiculous and semi works and there's an idea in there that's that's sort of fun fun in a way is that what I call the slow walk of suspense Robert Redford walking across a thirty foot long room to get to a desk and he's only allowed to move at the speed of two inches per second and that to me i find hilarious fun to watch um and it's actually really hard to do like i i did yoga before and there's a yoga exercise that we did is like walk incredibly slowly and it's really hard to do because just the muscle memory just wants to sort of speed through these these movements that we do all the time so anyway I thought that was sort of an entertaining bit. That was a top three, right? That was top three, yeah. Okay, just just making sure. (laughs) Okay, so top three moments. I've got an honorable mention to a line. Um, Gee, I can't tell... (laughs) I can't tell you what a relief that is, dick. (laughs) And just Robert Rashford says, dick yeah <laughs> um so that's so that's a, that's an honorable mention um like whenever they're spying on the mathematician getting it on with the lady and he goes like oh mr bishop do you mind if i take a look just grow up says sydney poitier and, and just whispers, let me see. <laughs> oh. i had one i had one more on my list and that was it and uh, I didn't understand my writing. <laughs> so I left it out. That's what it was. Let me see. Like, let me what? Let me what? Yeah, that, that was sort of funny. Uh, another one I've, I have is Robert Redford kicking the door down. And just like this whole high tech. Yeah. What I, when just like, this is what you do with the lock and then lock this, lock that. And by the way, when you're talking about this of tracing of the car, this is when I was, I checked out, this is the Sim- Simpsons donkey brain moment for me. We're just like, I have no idea what they're doing and why. Um, anyway, so, uh, so, so Robert Redford kicking the door down when he sees like, how do I defeat a code lock? Uh, just hold on. Let me try something. And he just kicks the door. Down. Yeah. I'm and it's a great happy. lead up to that too, because you don't hear what they're saying on the other end and Redford's selling it. 
Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Okay. All right. <laughs> and then just kicks through it. That was great. Yeah. Yeah. So, so that was that. Um, number one. <laughs> Number one, I don't even know which one because you can you can go funny and I don't know can, I don't know if it belongs on on a bottom or on a top list, but I think it belongs on the top list. Is Dan, Dan Aykroyd's Winnebago? Like he's really really passionate about this getting his Winnebago <laughs> burgundy upholstery. Yes, he is, <laughs> especially in this sort of final scene with James Earl Jones, who comes like out of nowhere. He's just like, okay, I want to win a bag, and, and it's like everyone kind of steps. This this scene may may make an appearance in, in in a few seconds, just in general. But and everyone sort of takes a step step forward and says what they want. <laughs> it's gonna it's gonna make an appearance. Yes, Dan Aykroyd said, "I want to win a bagel." I appreciate the fact that he wants to win a bagel, and I could actually just smash it with the fact that he in one scene he has a yellow raincoat, which I smell. May have been rate may have come from the uh, set of Ghostbusters too. And they all were just Maybe, going to yeah. investigate the river of slime and uh, Bill <laughs> Let me guess, <laughs> an all-you-can-eat buffet at the Sizzler. Yes. <laughs> no, all you can. No, all you can eat. No, hold, hold on. All you can eat barbecue rib night. Yes, <laughs> the Sizzler. <laughs> So that's number one is Dan Aykroyd's Winnebago and the fact he reminded me of a film I like. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you, Dan Aykroyd. Is that it? Uh, Yeah, this is it. Now let's get to the bottoms. Okay, yeah. Uh, I've got a lot, so for amusement's sake, I might as well just go through pretty much all of them. Okay. Oh, Jesus. And I'll start with the poster. (laughs) Terrible, terrible poster. Um, Here are... Yeah, so I got a, like a crap ton of dishonorable mentions, so I'll just list all of those, and then I have one, one or two real ones. Uh, so <clears throat> dishonorable mentions: we mentioned this Ben Kingsley jogging ten paces in a suit, <laughs> and I don't think he's moving his arms. <laughs> no, on, to- he's... on top of the thighs being clamped together. Uh, so there's that. Another one: the contract with we talked about this too robert redford sort of makes this deal with these i know these these guys that are with the nsa or whoever they're with Hundred and seventy-five thousand minus expenses split five ways seems bizarrely low for everyone to get excited about it and take the level of risk that they're Especially discussing the new, i'm gonna go to europe and <laughs> tahiti <laughs> You know that's that's way more than this uh, this job is going to get you, Sydney. Sydney, did you get on the phone with the airline to just double check how much the tickets are going <laughs> to? Yeah, so so silly. Anyway, uh, so Sea Tech Astronomy, which is this name drop throughout, this is the the subject of the big Scrabble hunt and the anagram that comes from it. No more secrets. Too that many is, secrets. Too many secrets. Okay. Uh, oh, it, I thought it was. No, they said no more secrets. Later no on, they secrets. say no more secrets. No more secrets, Bishop, or something like this. And because that's that. that no, this this is what he, he says to Cosmo. Oh, no more secrets because they fuck up the line because it was too okay. many secrets. <laughs> too many. Okay, I withdraw because too many secrets. I can see by looking at it is probably in fact an anagram because 
I was annoyed by this watching it. No More Secrets is not an anagram for C-Tech Astronomy. What are they talking about? Okay, I withdraw that. Um, the whole concept of a rock star mathematician with a white turtleneck and the ponytail and that you've got these, you know, chic parties in his honor. Don't get that at all. <laughs> That's ridiculous mm-hmm. to me. There's a scene uh, as part of the Scrabble party too, I'll add. The opening to that scene is Mary McDonald dancing. She can dance. Sidney Poitier, everyone has a turn dancing with Mary McDonald. Great. Sidney Poitier, he can dance. Dan Aykroyd can dance. They're good dan they're good dancers. But what the hell is David Strathairn doing in his moment to dance? And River oh, Phoenix. Gonna... They are just they're shaking and it's just absolutely this awkward is, and t- cringeworthy. He's taking a directorial directorial note of please pretend you're Stevie Wonder at a, at a piano. Just, <laughs> just do it. it is so cringeworthy. It's, and then it's uh, so bad. And dude. River Phoenix, what is he doing? It's it's just as bad. Uh, anyway, that was painful, painful, painful. <laughs> uh, and then uh, where am I? Oh, and the other. The big one is the dance party all together. It's just that this all everyone's happy, playing Scrabble, dancing, such as the dancing is. And then everything turns into this suspense around whatever Whistler is doing on the computer. And <laughs> this fooling around with uh, Scrabble tiles. And it's like, what the hell is going on? And what was the turning point? What did I miss? Where did this... Where did this fun romp turn into this, uh, you know, Scrabble suspense? And that's just sort of really brutal and really awkward. And uh, that's my worst, the worst. <laughs> Go ahead. Let's have it. All righty then. The lecture where they project slides into the guy's face. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And I, I know, like on Wikipedia, there's this, or maybe on IMDb, there are these notes about how this they hired this mathematician to put these equations together. And this apparently all makes sense. It's about code breaking, and then it's just in this scene where they just flash it into the guy's face, and he's talking nonsense. <laughs> <laughs> Mathematics being, he's trying to look like Steve Jobs. That's uh, <clears throat> ridiculous. Another one I have is just, uh, you called it the Redford flip. I think in the sort of heist scene where they, uh, in like where they, there's a smoke bomb in the, in the, in the deposit mm-hmm. box. And then Robert Redford tries to jump over a counter and he flips. <laughs> just yeah. falls face first and does like a somersault. <laughs> he goes, I'm fine. <laughs> I've got exo porn, but you mentioned that. Um, what what else do I have? Oh yeah, I mentioned this. Like when they carried an empty folder to a meeting, just to, <laughs> just, <laughs> to, uh, they got a flair for the theatrics at the NSA, don't they? <laughs> Apparently, it's not even the NSA. It's just. So another one I have, like you kind of post quite a few, you know, when when you entry. So let's just say, let's just say like when David David Strathairn's dancing like Stevie Wonder meets Ray Charles, like who <laughs> whose idea was this? Like I know this is the '90s, but this is like I know and now it will be cancelled already. It's just like why do you hire? 
Uh, David's yep. starting to play a blind guy, by the way. Um. <laughs> Christ. It, it kind of feels like this is like a companion piece to contact because he had like William Fickner being blind and he goes like, oh, feel it. And just feels. <laughs> the scene with James Earl Jones when everyone just takes a step forward and says what they want and also David mm-hmm. Strathairn says he wants peace in the world and then happiness or something like goodwill towards man yes goodwill towards men. Oh. the whole ending is terrible isn't it <laughs> that's actually a throwback so they've put that in the script at the start of the film and at the end of the film oh that makes it better doesn't it no it's brutal <laughs> it's brutal <laughs> and then the worst and this is perfect the worst moment and this I'm really serious about this is the idea on paper of let's make a set piece around the guy walking in slow motion <laughs> to a room <laughs> I mean let's disregard like Tobolowski scenes like there's they're on like a list on of their own like just best of Tobolowski moments where he's just like pounding a breast and just like say passport <laughs> high drops <laughs> but I'm really passionate about this moment when they cut into him and it's exactly like the steamroller in Austin Powers. <laughs> Makes no sense. And just, it feels like they, they were talking about this moment, like, let's make this set piece where Robert, you're going to be walking through a room at a diagonal very, very slowly. And we're going to put this sort of James Horner's music to kind of just amp it up for you. And so he, as you walk, the music is going to be <laughs> and you can't put your you, you can't put your Zucker Abrams on for that because <laughs> that's what it is and I think that's how I enjoyed it uh, n- n- well no because everything else is kind of just no it doesn't cohere like if lean into it just just commit to it because it's like four seconds later it's gone and it's just like all of a sudden like now we have now I have to look at Ben Kingsley run <laughs> With his arms not moving and his thighs clamped so, together. Yeah. This moment's just like, because at this point, like, I've, I've bought into the heist. I bought into the infiltration aspect of it all. And by the way, this is something, and we talked about this already, but this is going to be released in a month's time about, the, you know, like in, in a different podcast. But the idea of like then hiding in, into a suspended ceiling. Yes. <laughs> yes. <clears throat> yeah, and then just waltzing around. Like, Robert Redford's not, you know, Jet Lee. <laughs> I think Jet Lee would crash through a traditional drop ceiling, too. You'd think so, yeah. <laughs> and this guy's just, you know, and they, they have a guy with a shotgun just like blowing holes in it. What a stupid set piece. <laughs> and not in the good way. It's just dumb. So I think that's it. I think we've done it. I don't think it were. I think you can actually stream this film anywhere. I think this is available to be rented or purchased, and at, at least in the UK, it's available on physical media and a restored Blu-ray. And I think this was partly produced by uh, by the um, some kind of independent publication as well. I can't remember. Is it Film Hounds? Some maybe Empire? I don't know. <coughs> Yeah, so you can get it on physical media if you really need to. But Do this it. Is, see it once. Everyone should see it once. 
Yeah, yeah. So if you want to just see it once, just stroll down to your second-hand DVD shop and buy it for like a dollar. Because that's what it's worth. <laughs> <laughs> no, this is, no. Uh, yeah, I can't. Yeah, I, I, I kid you not. This movie is difficult to kind of find on streaming services because I don't think you can actually just go and subscribe and use your Netflix money to do this. So you have to kind of do it the old-fashioned way. And that's it. That's 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 sneakers for you. So, Randy, where can we uh, sneak up on you? You can find me on Twitter at Randy Burrows. You can find me on Letterboxd at Bratch7. And you can find me on ClapperLTD.co.uk. Yeah, there you go. And you can find me. Talk about film Twitter. You can flash on Letterboxd. Uh, flashonfilm.com clapperltd.co.uk as well and you can find the show at Uncut Gems Pod everywhere uncutgemspodcast.com is the website where you can go and browse all all we have and you'll also find that we have a patron which is patreon.com slash uncutgemspod where three bucks a month will also give you access to extra shows and this month it's Ocean's Trilogy, Heat and Husbands in that order and then quick reminder that for the for the duration of the next four weeks so between the 17th of june and 14 no 17th of may and 14th of june heat is available to listen for free on our patreon so go and listen and you can always leave us a review star rating wherever you listen to your podcast because that sure helps a lot and if you also feel like leaving us a donation you can do so at ko-fi.com and that's about it i think that's us for the day so thanks again for sticking with us uh, and you know, hope, you know, hopefully next week we'll, we'll see, you, see you next week when we'll be talking about Hudson Hawk and then we may or may not hopefully we may have a bit of a special thing to go with the Hudson Hawk podcast but more on that next week so take care mm-hmm.